Y'all ready to get in the Word this morning? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This morning we're looking at verses 12 through 24. And the theme of my teaching this morning is integrity. Integrity. And as I was preparing to teach this this week, I couldn't help but to think of everything we're seeing in the news. Integrity is so important. This is a very relevant word for today. You see everything with all the politicians if you, watch, if you watch Fox News or MSNBC, you see all these scandals and all this stuff going on with um, news anchors at major news stations, with uh, politicians in Washington, D.C., with Hollywood actors. You know, it's very important. Now, they fall and they bring damage to who? Their name. And it pretty much stops there. But when a Christian falls, when a Christian doesn't walk in integrity, it reflects on two people, themselves and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's so important that as believers in Jesus that we live authentic lives walking in integrity. So let's read our passage this morning, and then uh, we'll get into the teaching. Second Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 12, we're going to read through verse 17. It says this, For our proud confidence is this, this testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially towards you. For we write, we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand, and I hope you will understand until the end, just as you also partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud, as you also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. In this confidence I intended at first to come to you, so that you might twice receive a blessing, that is, to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you, and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh, so that with me there will be yes, yes, and no, no at the same time. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word Thank you, Lord, as we dive into the subject of integrity. I pray, Lord, that you make your word real to us, relevant, and bring it home as a, as a word today from heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. So this morning, we're looking at the subject of, of walking in integrity. What is integrity? In case you don't know, what, what does that word mean? It means doing what is right. Doing what is right in life. And, f- and what that means in reality is we take from what we learn in the Word of God and we apply it to our lives and we live it out in our everyday life. Not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. We make it a way of life. We let God and His principles work in us and we live it out in our everyday life. How important is integrity? Proverbs 19.1 says this. It says, Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. You, my friend, whether you realize it or not, you are defined by your words. The words you speak and the way you live your life is a witness to the world. Integrity is important. When you're long gone from this world, what will people remember you by? By your integrity, how you live your life. You know, and as parents, we set the example for our children We set the example for people around us. 
living a life of integrity is so huge, so important. And as a believer, it's a reflection of Christ to the world. Integrity defines um, how people see you. Integrity defines um, how people see you. Pastors and church leaders, we're judged by the world standard. We're judged by the size of the congregation, by our oracle skills, how well we communicate, by our radio and TV ministries, by how many book sales, by, well, where, do you get, where did you get your college degree, Dr. Ford? That's what people judge. But let me, newsflash, in, in God's eyes, none, none of that is impressive. Those things don't impress God. Why? Because man looks at the outside, but where does God look? God looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance. But where does the Lord look at? He looks at the heart. Those things are all well and good. You want to, you want to do your book sales. You want to get your college degree. You, you want to have a radio and TV ministry. You want to do things. But remember this, God looks at the heart. He, looks, he sees what others can't see. He looks at the inside of us. In this passage we're looking at this morning, Paul's accused of not keeping his word, of being double-minded. And so he's going, to spend, he's going to take this time to write to the Corinthians on his third missionary journey to defend his integrity. To defend his integrity. And you're going to see what they're, what they're saying is kind of, to me, it's kind of silly. It's kind of pointless. But what it was, there were, there were false teachers there, and those false teachers and some of his critics, maybe some people that were enemies, they were looking for a needle in a haystack. They were combing him like a, like, a, like a fine comb, and they were finding, what can we find wrong? What did he do wrong so we can find it, we can pinpoint it and accuse him? What I love, and we, we're going to see, we, we talked about this last week, but as we continue through the book of 2 Corinthians, we're going to see Paul the pastor. We're going to see Paul the pastor. In 1 Corinthians, Paul was the, was the teacher. He instructed us and gave instruction. But throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, as we go through each sermon in the weeks to come, you're going to see Paul's emotions. You're going to see his passion. You're going to see his heart. He's going to talk about, in, in this book, he talks about weeping and grieving and being passionate. You see the emotions of a man driven by the Holy Spirit and a man that says, you know what, I'm going to defend my integrity. So let's look at it. Let's look at Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. It says there, uh, for our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially towards you. Now, I really wrestled with how I was going to teach this passage this week. Because if you study the passage, verse 12 is what we call a bluff. A bluff is, is an acronym for a statement that's used in speeches. And it's, a lot of times, bluff is used in the military. And a bluff is the bottom line up front. A lot of times in military units, when you brief a commander, the first thing you start with when you, when you brief a colonel, you brief a general, is you give them the bluff. Hey, sir, here's the bottom line up front. Here's, what I'm, here's, here's, here's everything in a nutshell. And then after that bluff, he goes to explain it in detail. So what I want to do this morning, I'm going to teach verses 13 through verses 24, and then we're going to come back to the bluff, which is the thesis. So let's look at verses 13. We're going to come back to verse 12. 
Verse 13. Just, we're going to go through this, and then we're going to see principles of walking in integrity in verse 12. So let's see how he explains this. Let's see the details behind verse 12. Verse 13. For we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand. And I hope you will understand until the end, just as you also partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud, as you also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. Despite these false claims, and despite what's going on, the Apostle Paul shows grace to these people. He shows grace to them. And he says to them in verses 13 and 14, he says, I want you to understand this. I want you to get this. I want you to see my heart. And his heart was, for the Corinthians, that we're going to see in other places, is he loved the Corinthian church. He loved the believers there. They, the believers at Corinth, were the Apostle Paul's pride and joy. As well as he says, he was their pride and joy. They were family. They were all saved. And he has a deep love and a deep joy for them. He opens it up with grace before he defends his integrity. That's very important. That even when we defend our integrity, we do it in a spirit of grace. We do it in a spirit of grace and a spirit of self-control. He's going to explain, verse 15, In this confidence I, t- I intended at first to come to you, so that you might twice receive a blessing. That is, here it is, that is to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillating. That word vacillating just means uh, being double-minded, being fickle, being wishy-washy. Therefore, I was not being fickle. I was not vacillating. I was not being double-minded when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? So that with me there will be yes, yes, and no, no at the same time. The issue here that's going on in the passage is the Apostle Paul is on his, going on his third missionary journey. And the Apostle Paul had a desire, he didn't, but he wanted to go to Corinth twice. He wanted to start his third missionary journey and go to Corinth, go through Macedonia, and then go back to Corinth again. That was his desire. He he. He was wanting to do do two visits, but it never happened. It never happened. And now there's these people at Corinth that are trying to nail Paul, and they're accusing Paul of being fickle and being double-minded. Now, how many of you like the game Clue? Like to be investigative? Let's see, in your mind, let's put Paul in a court of law, in the court of the church, and let's ask ourselves, was he being fickle? Was he being double-minded? Let's look at it. Verse 15. Let's look at the facts of what's written in the Word. Remember, he's, he's beginning his third missionary journey. He first goes to Ephesus, and he says that he wanted to go there twice, but he, do, he, he doesn't. So look at verse 15. Is Paul being fickle? He says there in verse 15, in this confidence, he says it right there, I intended at first to come to you. So he says there in the text, he says, I intended. That means he planned to. He had intentions. He had the desire to. But you know, sometimes our plans and intentions don't always work out. But at least he wanted to in his heart. What I think he should have read, I think what Paul should have written in this text, but thankfully the Holy Spirit was directing him to write these words. 
But as I was looking at this, what he, what he could have said to them is, hey guys, go read the instructions. Go read the first letter. Go read the letter I've already sent to you, and you won't be questioning my integrity. You won't be asking the question, am I fickle? Turn back one chapter. That's right. You're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter um, 16. Look at verse 5. If they would have taken the time to just read the first letter, they would see that he's not being fickle. Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 16, chapter 16, verse 5. Here's what he says. He says, but I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. So Paul does say right here, he says, church at Corinth, I'm going to come your way. I will come that way. But notice what he says, after, after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. Verse 6, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. Verse 7, for I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. Do you see what he's saying there? Paul is saying that if I come to you first, I'm not going to be able to spend the amount of time that I want to spend with you. I'm going to go to these other cities, and I'm going to end my stay in Corinth. And notice what he tacks on at the very end of verse 7. Look at those last four words. Very powerful statement. As I, was, as I was preparing this message this week, I saw the importance when people say, Lord willing, I'll see you there. Look at what he says. If the Lord permits. If the Lord permits. Very powerful statement. He says, if the Lord permits. And we're going to see that God changes his plans. God, God redirects him. So the answer to the question, was, was, was he vacillating? No, he wasn't vacillating. And, and, there, and there's another reason. There's another reason why Paul did not go to Corinth first. He would have had to cross that sea there, but and go by just a natural route by land. He'd be going north and then be going south. But the second reason, continuing in um, verse 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he says, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. Look at verse 9. For a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So he planned on going to Corinth, but a great door, a great opportunity opened for the Apostle Paul there in Ephesus or possibly slightly to the north in Troas. Somewhere in there, uh, scholars believe he wrote the book of 2 Corinthians on his third missionary journey. But a great door opened up for ministry. Let's just face it, folks. Sometimes plans change. Sometimes plans change. And, and we need to be graceful. You know, Corinth, you know, Paul came in there and established it. They were wanting him all to themselves. They were wanting the Apostle Paul. But Paul is saying, hey, I got all these other places I got to go. I got all these other cities I got to visit. He, Paul talks about throughout the book of 2 Corinthians his passion for the for the church, his sleepless nights for the church. He had a consuming passion, not just for the church at Corinth, but for all churches. So he doesn't vacillate, or he's not fickle. And if you read, you go back and study the third missionary journey, you'll see that the Apostle Paul ends up in Corinth before he goes back 
to Israel. So those two reasons. One, he wanted to wait. He wanted to spend more time. It says there in verse 7, I do not wish to see you now just in passing. In other words, Corinth, if I come now, it's just going to be for a moment. It's just going to be for a little bit, and I need a lot more time with you. I need a whole lot more time with you. So those, those were the two reasons and a greater opportunity of ministry in verses 8 and 9. Turn back to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, let's continue with verse 18, looking at the situation. That's why I kind of said this is, you know, it's kind of crazy. They're upset with him just because he didn't come the first time. He says, I'm coming, but they weren't happy with that. And, and these critics of the Apostle Paul, they, they're, 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 they're drawing straws. They're looking at any way possible that they can uh, trap him and, and, and um, defame his name. Verse 18, but as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me, Salinas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but yes in him. You, you see here in this passage, the Apostle Paul is careful with his words. As a Christian, as a believer, uh, he understands that in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of other people, his words carry the same, are carrying the same weight as the faithfulness of God. Because they looked to Paul for the Holy Scriptures. They looked to Paul to hear from the Lord. It was very important as ministers, as pastors, as teachers, that we are people of our word and we deliver, people, deliver to people accurately the word of God. And we teach people and we instruct them clearly, precisely with biblical teaching. Very, very important. Verse 20. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. The promises of the Father come to us through who? Jesus. Our amen goes back to the Father through who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I love this. A lot of times we start talking about integrity and morals, and people think, man, i got to go home, and i got to start working on all this stuff. You know, in my own strength, in my own willpower, in my own thinking, go out and get a bunch of self-help books and start working on all this stuff. No, that's not how you do it. That's not how you live. That's not the foundation of a life of integrity. The foundation of a life of integrity, I believe, is starting in verse 21. Verses 21 through 22, the, the, the Word of God is going to tell us where we get our integrity from. Where we get our integrity from. Look at verse 21. Now, he who establishes us. We get our integrity from being established in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the rock of our foundation. He is the rock of our salvation. He is the foundation of, of our Christian walk. And, we, and to live a life of integrity, we have to be founded on that rock through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to be founded on him. We have to be founded on his word and in a living relationship with him. So first we have to be established to live this life of integrity. Continuing in verse 21, it says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ, and it says, and anointed us. This is an Old Testament phrase. This, this meant to uh, prepare 
people for service. And to walk in our integrity, we got to be open. We have to be open for what does God want us to do in life? What service has he prepared for you in ministry? And then we have to live out and, and do that service. Serve the Lord with that service. Because he's anointed us. He, by his Holy Spirit, he's given us a tasking and a gifting to do for him. And then verse 22, he stamps us, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. He has put his stamp on us. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he stamps you as his. How does he stamp you? By putting his Holy Spirit in your heart. As, what does it say? As a pledge. You are stamped by the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit operating within us manifests himself in us through our walk, through our integrity, through our word, through our actions. It's the Holy Spirit. So don't go out, run out, and get a bunch of self-help books and go out and start researching integrity on the Internet. Start with God. Start with God. Start with his word. And let the Lord work in you. Let the Lord work in your heart and work out his integrity. Verse 23. But I call God as witness to my soul that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. We'll talk about this more next week because he's going to mention this in the next chapter. There was possibly another visit. There was possibly a more stern visit that the Apostle Paul went to. That he went and... Um, and visited Corinth, but we'll talk more about that next week. But I call God as a witness to my soul that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. He had, he had to go there to correct them, to bring rebuke, and it broke his heart when he sees the church not living in like the way they should. But we'll talk more about that as we get into um, chapter 2, verse 1 next week. Verse 24, Not that we lord it over your faith, but our workers, but our workers with you for your joy. For in your faith you are standing firm. You know, I love this phrase here. He says, Not that we lord it over your faith. There comes a point, I, I especially say with pastors, where you're teaching the body, you're teaching people the word, you're giving people an opportunity to grow. There comes a point where the people have to grow. They have to stand on their own feet. They have to... Your relationship with Jesus is not my responsibility. It's your responsibility, individually, to call upon the name of the Lord. It's your responsibility, individually, to get into the Word of God. You can't just wait till Sunday morning. He says, not that we lord it over your faith, in other words, not that I'm coming in and I'm dictating to Paul his faith and saying, read your Bible here, 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 and here. Pray here, here, and here, and here. And do this and do that. And are you loving Jesus? No, are you really loving Jesus? Are you loving Jesus yesterday, the day before, and tomorrow, and the next day? No, we don't, I don't, we don't lord over people's faith. People have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. Young people, you can't ride the coattails of mom and dad's faith. 
You have to have your own faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to call upon the name of the Lord. You have to receive him. You have to establish your relationship with him. Not, not that we lord it over your faith. Not that Paul is, not that he's living the faith of the Corinthians to, to, to Christ, but he's telling them you've got to have your own faith. But we are workers with you for your joy. For in your faith, you are standing firm. We're in this together, standing firm in the faith, encouraging one another as we go along. So that, my friend, is where integrity comes from. Integrity, biblical integrity, which is what we seek, comes from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and being in his word. If you don't have those, then you're just going with the flow. But if you have those, his integrity will flow through us and in us. How do we live it out? How do we live out our integrity? Let's go back and look at the bluff, sir. The bottom line up front. Let's turn back to verse 12. Look back at verse 12. We're going to spend half of the message on this one verse here. Verse 12, five principles for walking in integrity. Let's break this down. Question for you. What do you do when your integrity is questioned? And you know that you're right. You know that you've done no wrong. You're firmly convinced. No, this is not true. Look at the first six words. Verse 12. For our proud confidence is this. Paul is making a statement here. He, he knows he has done no wrong. So what do you do when you're falsely accused? You stand firm. You defend yourself. But careful, my friend. Do it in a spirit of grace. Do it in a spirit of grace. For our proud confidence is this. Paul is saying, I know this for a fact. This is sure. And I am proudly confident that what I'm fixing to say is accurately, is accurate and true. Let's look at them. For our proud confidence is this. Number one, the testimony of our conscience. The first principle to live out integrity is you got to live, you got to operate in life with a clean conscience. What is conscious? Conscious, it comes from a Latin word, with knowledge. In other words, we have the knowledge of right and wrong. Conscience is, is, a, is a gift from God. I like to say this. The conscience is the soul's warning system. All people have it. Check out Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. All human beings have a conscience, whether they're Christian or not, according to Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. But it's our automatic warning system. The problem today is this, though. People ignore it. People suppress it, and they don't listen to it. In 1983, an Ivanka Airlines jet crashed in Spain. Investigators studying the accident made an eerie discovery. The black box cockpit recorder revealed that several minutes before impact, a sharp computerized voice from the plane's automatic warning system told the crew repeatedly in English, pull up, pull up. The pilot, thinking the system was malfunctioning, snapped back, shut up, gringo, and switched the system off. Minutes later, the plane plowed into the side of a mountain and everyone on board died because they didn't listen to the built-in system. My friend, all people have a conscience. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. God has written his moral law on every single human heart. We inherently know within ourselves whether you, you live in the jungles of Botswana 
or you live in New York City, you know it's wrong to lie. You know it's wrong to steal. You know it's wrong to commit adultery. You know those things inherently because Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, go study it yourself, but it says he's written it on their hearts. But the problem is people suppress it. People suppress their conscience. People suppress their knowledge. The, the, the conscience for us today, it, it, it tells us this. It tells us to do what's right. To do what's right. It warns us. The conscience yells to us. It says, pull up, pull up before you crash and burn. That's what the conscience does to us. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You've been in compromising situations. I've been in compromising situations in my life where I'm doing something and my conscience is screaming at me saying, you need to stop, turn around, pull up, pull up before you crash and burn. So the first principle of living out a life of integrity is listening to the voice of our conscience. God's moral law written on our hearts. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. The next one there, in uh, verse 12, he says, uh, For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, the second principle, that in holiness. Some of your versions say simplicity. The Greek is hapolos. It means moral purity. The second principle to living a life of integrity is this, is that we walk in obedience to God. Man, if you walk in obedience to God, you're going to solve half, you're going to solve most of your problems. If you just do what the word says, obey God. Obey God. Obey what's written in his word. Do what his word says. 1 Peter 1.16 says this. It says, you shall be holy for I am holy. We're called to be separate from the old life. We're called to be separate from sin and evil. Now, we're still in a fight. We're still in a fight. And, and, and we're Christians and we're in a fight. And what we have to do against sin and evil is we have to, I like to call it, slay the dragon. Slay the dragon. Do whatever it takes in your war, in your fight against sin. Whatever it is, whether it's lusting, whether it's uh, whatever commandments, whatever laws that, of God that you're tempted to, to, to break, declare an all-out war and slay the dragon. Do whatever it takes. If it's the computer it's causing you to fall, then put a filter. If the filter doesn't work, get rid of the computer. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. I hate sin. I hate sin. I said that. I hate sin. It works. Sin in our lives, in our life, it works against everything that God is wanting to do in our lives. It works against everything that God is wanting to do in our lives. Hebrews 12, 14 says, it says, strive for peace with everyone and for, the ho- and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. When a person gets saved, when a person becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, a change takes place. Not this state of perfection. You haven't reached it and have arrived. But there's a change of heart. There's a change in our heart that says, I don't want to do that no more. You may be wrestling with it, you may be fighting with it, but I don't want to do it no more. And I'm going to do whatever I can through discipleship, through prayer, through Bible reading to get away from that so I can walk in holiness or or walk in simplicity, so I can walk in moral purity. Holiness is godliness. It is part of our life, being separate from the old way of life. Look at the next one. That in holiness, it says, and godly 
sincerity. The Greek word is eklenaria. It means clearness and purity. The third principle to live out a life of integrity is don't put on a show. Don't put on a show. Be authentic. Be real. You know, share your struggles. Share your fight. Share, your, share the things you're wrestling with. I got men in this church that I love so much and I'm so thankful for. And they call me up and say, Pastor David, man, I'm just struggling. I'm, I'm wrestling. And, and, and they're just real with me. They're authentic. I'm like, wow, dude, you're being real sharing that with me. And we take it to the throne of grace. We pray. They're transparent and they're real. You know, the worst thing we can do is, is hide our sin and, and, and pretend like it's not there. But the best thing we can do is bring it to his throne of grace and be authentic and be real, live out godly sincerity in sharing it with a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. It's very important that we live with a clean conscience, that we um, walk in holiness, that we walk in godly sincerity. And I love this next one. He continues in verse 12. He says, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God. You know, this is one of the things I like about Calvary Chapel and studying the life of the founder, Chuck Smith. One of the things he, he pressed hard was grace. Our relationship with God is based on grace. Let me repeat that so you go home with it. Our relationship with God is based on grace. It's not based on do's and don'ts, and, but it's based on grace. And we need to take that in our lives, God's grace, and live it out in our integrity and walk in grace. We need to walk in grace. We, we need to display the love of Christ. We need to display his love to all people, to display his grace. The biggest um, walking in grace, I think about this, being a forgiving person. We need to be a forgiving person. That's what it means to walk in grace, is to be a forgiving person. And the final one, the fifth principle, is don't be a hypocrite. Look at there, it says, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. You see what he's saying there? Paul is addressing two audiences. He's addressing two audiences. We have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. We conduct our lives the same way in church that we do in our daily walk, in our, in our daily living throughout the week. Don't be one person on Sunday and then be a different person Monday through Saturday. That's called hypocrisy. That's called hypocrisy. And so we have to, we have to live out our life in, in integrity, not being a hypocrite. Right before I retired from the Guard, I was working at my National Guard unit, and I, I was the logistics NCO. I was responsible for all the property, all the equipment, all the maintenance. And we had these, these door guys come in, and they were replacing all the doors. And I was back in the log room, and being in the military, you just get used to hearing curse words. It's just, it's just it's there. It's there. I got used to it. Um, but I was working in my log room. The door guys were there. They were replacing the doors. And this guy that was replacing the doors, he must have dropped the GD bomb about 15, about 15 times. Now, that one just makes me cringe. I can't stand it. But he kept on dropping it. And finally, um, I walked by there, and I picked, the, I picked up the phone, and I was talking to someone about church. And I told him I was a pastor. And, and I hung up the phone, and he says, you're a pastor? 
I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I looked at him. I said, dude, don't apologize to me. You need to apologize to God. And he went on to say, I'm a member of First Unity, First Unity of the First Church of the Baptist in blah, blah, blah town. And yada, 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 yada. But if you would have heard his mouth all day and some of the stuff that he was talking about, you'd be like, that guy needs to get saved. But you can't. Our language matters. The language we use, it matters on Sunday, okay, here in church. But guess what else it matters? It, it matters Monday through Saturday. We've got to live out this life. We've got to be an authentic, real Christian. So the five principles of integrity. Number one, live with a clean conscience. Listen to the voice of your conscience. Listen to your soul's automatic warning system and the Holy Spirit because you have your conscience and the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. Listen to the voice. Second principle, walk in obedience. God says, be holy for I am holy. Third principle, uh, be authentic. Be real. Be the real deal. Don't put on a show. You know what? We wrestle. We fight. We're in this fight together. Number four, walk in grace. Walk in grace. Be a forgiving person. Display the love of Christ to the world. And then finally, the fifth principle is, in the verse, it says, we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially towards you. Don't be a hypocrite. Be the same that you are in the church as you are in your daily life. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, we looked at the subject of integrity this morning. And I just pray, Father God, that um, by your Holy Spirit dwelling in us and us getting into your word and us loving you with all of our heart, soul, and mind, that you would begin to strengthen these areas of our integrity. Help us in this, in this area of our life to do it in grace and do it by your spirit, not in our own strength, but in yours. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. The Apostle Paul, he was not vacillating. He was not being fickle. He had the Corinthians best interest at heart. And that was where he stood to minister to the body of Christ in integrity.